0: on guys welcome back to the Optimize Self podcast for 2019. I hope everyone's had a great 2018 and 2019 is so far shaping up to be the best year yet and everyone's on the journey to becoming the best versions of themselves possible. Now this episode is with a good friend of mine Liam Jenkins. Liam is a successful tattoo artist and he has traveled the world tattooing and he is currently in the process of completely reshaping the way he lives earns money and i find that quite interesting and that's why i wanted to have a chat with him because a lot of people in his position would just stick with what they already have and hope for the best however he had the urge to search and to pursue other dreams and he did it and so far things are working out for him so i hope you enjoy this podcast because he's quite an interesting character Now, if you guys are enjoying the podcast, if you've listened to a few of them, feel free to follow my Instagram page, which is optimize.self. I've got plenty of health and fitness tips, many workouts, and just interesting stuff. You can follow my podcast on iTunes, and also this episode is the first episode I've ever done via phone recording. So at first, it sounds a bit croaky, but I hope you can understand it, and give me some feedback if you... Feel like it is not quite up to scratch. Hope you enjoy it. Speak to you soon. Peace. Welcome to the Optimize Self Podcast, Liam. Cheers, mate. Good to be here. Yeah, yeah, this is
1: the first podcast I have done via phone recording, so if it sounds a little bit less kind of uh, clear and crisp, um, the reason why. Liam's outside in the country, walking around his farm. Yeah. Um, So Matt, I just wanted to um, have a have a bit of a chat with you in regards to like you know you've you've led a pretty interesting kind of life in the last say you know 10 or 15 years. Me and you grew up with each other in a a pretty interesting area of Australia. Um, I just wanted to like start off by just kind of people just kind of explaining what you what you currently do at the moment. Like what's your full time job? Like what's your business that you run? At the moment, um, well, probably majority of the time I've
2: uh, got my business called Northern Rivers Hoof Care, which is basically just equine podiatry, so fixing horse feet, maintaining horse feet um, over all different breeds and disciplines of riding and sort of it's a big mix bag, which keeps it fun, and then the career that I had before that was tattooing that I've did for about would be almost ten years. I'm still doing that one or two days a week. Yeah. Um, in Lennox Head at Rock of Ages Tattoo. Cool. Um, but yeah, just doing them, and they both keep me pretty busy at the moment. It's pretty yeah pretty flat out. Yeah,
1: for sure. Um, yeah. Sweet. Well, before we kind of unpack a little bit about what you um currently do in your your I guess your new business um and how you got there. Why don't we start back at um, when you were, you know, you were a full-time tattoo artist and it was your world for a while. You travelled the world tattooing, and you know, you've worked with some pretty interesting people. Um, mm. What, what, um, what made you start wanting to get into like the tattoo realm, say, like 10, 12 years ago? What, what drew you to that? Um,
2: it was just, well, I always drew. Like you knew that growing up with me, I just couldn't help it. I was just like doodling all the time. Um, always, yeah. yeah, always as a kid. I don't remember a time when I wasn't drawing really. I just like graphics, like I remember like an early memory of like a career idea was just doing skateboard graphics. I was just like, Who's getting paid to do that? Mm. Like it was those um spit no, not spit world industries, like that flame drop and that yep. water drop and I was like, Who's doing that? Like someone's getting paid for that and I thought those illustrations were crazy at the time but yeah, so I always had the sort of an instinct to just draw and, um, then got older and eventually got into graffiti, just like, few, we had heaps of legal walls in and so you could just got rock up any time of the day, any day of the week and just paint. And, um, you know, it was just your budget that stopped you, like buying spray cans and all that. Um, otherwise you'd just keep going and we did heaps of that and I sort of had like an older fella, like one to one of the other graffiti writers who helped me out a lot and sort of said, no, you do your letters like this and sort of a bit of guidance there. Yeah. So I pursued that pretty heavily for a while but then I was like, got a bit older and I was like, oh, you know, I can get my license now, like my P-plates. I was like, sort of stopped buying spray cans. It's taking all my money. I want a car now and I want that freedom to, you know, do all the things you can when you're 18 in Australia. And yeah, so sort of stopped for a while just to save some coin, and still always drawing, like did a bit of graphic stuff, like graphic design, and and then eventually um, went down to Melbourne to pursue sort of um, some graphic design work, because I had studied, at, I have a diploma in graphic design as well, that I did when I just got out of high school, and um, yeah, sort of had to go to Melbourne to get a job like that, but I ended up working as a screen printer and then um eventually I had a mate who was tattooing, like his dad was a tattooist and his yeah. his dad's like, Don't become a tattooist and I'm like, Oh, you should it like, sounds like an awesome job. Like, why wouldn't you? You make good money, you got all that freedom and that lifestyle and he sort of went against his uh dad's advice and started tattooing and that sort of after all that that sort of um gave me the ability to hang out at shops and just you know, immerse myself in it. And I saw that lifestyle. I was like, man, he's making pretty good coin and all he does is drawing. So it just mm. you know, made sense to me. And I don't know, it was just that whole world was pretty interesting, really. Like back, I mean, I'm, in, I'm not like an old school guy. I'm 10 mm. years in, mm. you know, this guys imagine 20 to 30 years, the cultural difference, you know, from yeah, there until yeah. now is just insane. But, um, you know, even then, I, I was just that mystery about it. I loved all the 1940s sort of stuff. like, um, And it was just like, what do those guys do in their life? You know, like being a tattooist. Like, and I always picture the sort of sailor sort of guy. Yeah, you know, yeah. The sailor Jerry tattooing archetype. And it was just that world. It just seemed like mysterious and interesting. So I think that had a lot to do with it. Yeah, just like yeah. delving in and searching around. It was just, I loved that. Yeah. I was like, so I can yeah. be one of them, you know, like it was just a cool idea and
1: Yeah. You just sure. go
2: with your I just back then you just you're young and you just go with what feels good really, just it was like you'd have that sort of free mindset where I'd just almost like maybe a bit ignorant but it worked,
1: you know, mm. you just dive in. I mm. can do this.
2: Yeah, for sure.
1: But did yeah. you did you did you think of it as a career back then when you first started or was it just something that was no. so interesting, you just wanted to just have a go? Not
2: really. Like I remember I was doing screen printing at the time and I just had enough of that and I was like, you know, I got a bit of an obsessive mindset and I was like, I want a tattoo, like that's what I want to do. I've seen my mate doing it. And I was like, I will wash windows at the lights because you don't get like paid as an apprenticeship. Like I was like, I will wash windows at lights if I have to. Like I'm that mm. hungry, um, mm. just to get by for a while. Mm. And um, yeah, so and then just you know went head first and eventually got offered the
1: apprenticeship. Really? Yeah. yeah. Were you washing windows or holding up signs <laughs> on the corners <laughs> to to your love for it?
2: Almost. I uh, I drove. I was a human billboard. <laughs> I did that for a while. That was full on. Like we, legitimately walked around the shopping centre with like these heavy billboards on our backs, like a backpack. Just advertising. Yeah, I was just thinking the whole time. I was like, man, this is good for self confidence because that was humiliating. You know, it was like, we can do this, because you just get walked at, you know, and like yeah, you look yeah. like an idiot. Eventually, yeah. we started driving those cars around with the billboards, but you know, and I just did that a few times a week, just yeah. you know, so I could survive whilst I did an apprenticeship out, out of down yeah. to earth in Essendon, yeah. And um, so, but yeah, as a career, sorry to answer your question, like I don't know, not really. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't even understand those concepts. Like growing up in Nimmin where we did like careers, like no one even spoke about it wasn't like a big deal and not many yeah, people yeah. had careers around the area did they?
1: No, no. It just um, a bit foreign. For people that are listening or haven't heard of Nimden, uh, it's a small town in northern New South Wales. It's a state in Australia and it's a bit of a, a bit of a there's a bit of a hippie movement there in the seventies and eighties and um a lot of people moved from the cities to get up there and you know it's a high unemployment area. It's the weed capital of the country. So um, growing up there, there was a lot of uh, different ways of looking how people live their life. Especially you know, moving from Nibbin to, to Melbourne to to become a tattoo or to want to pursue art. You know, it was a completely different different kind of paradigm compared to what other people were doing, right? So you, mm. you end up finding yourself as in the suburbs of Melbourne as an apprentice tattoo artist and yeah, kind of kind of chasing your dreams a little bit. Um, what what did you find like? Um, like started to change for you, say after doing it. I don't know how long a, a, a tattoo apprenticeship goes for, but do you do you yeah. start to do you really slowly start to see your confidence build and you know delving into other worlds within the industry and other the niches that you might might be attracted to or have never heard of.
2: Yeah, well, it's just um, yeah, obviously you meet a lot of interesting characters, which I was pretty comfortable with like coming from Nimmin I mean it's just the home of interesting characters so I yeah. feel pretty comfortable around those types and you know who have challenging ideas or are passionate about their weird ideas whether you agree with them or not but um yeah I don't know like you definitely you think back and you're just like a sponge like you're just absorbing everything it was like a new city a new career and you're just absorbing everyone and everything and you could almost see how that would be dangerous you're like man you know absorbing certain ideals and all that mm. that might that seemed so right at the time but you look back and you're like oh that doesn't make sense um but most of it was just you know they were great people they were just down-to-earth people who, from that industry you know who were just down for some fun and didn't take life too seriously and yeah but there's so many personalities in in the tattoo world but that first shop i was at yeah it was probably one of the funnest it was my boss rob is just i I couldn't even explain him in one podcast i don't think yeah yeah (laughs) he had so many sides to him he's his own person i think i loved that about him though i'm sure i got something about that like he just did what he wanted you know perhaps like at the start of the tattoo scene you sort of want to be included in the new tribe so you might conform a little bit to you know how a tattooist is meant to act and be and Mm. you know you being a new jack in that sand you do want acceptance and all that but then Mm. rob was my boss he was 30 years in or whatever and Mm. something crazy amounts and it's like he was way past that and he just was really his own person He, he had a lot of things. So, yeah, that that stuff was great to learn from. They were good mentors at the start, I reckon. And, yeah. You know, he probably got more from his personality and lifestyle than his actual tattooing. Yeah. <laughs> he was a good tattooist, but he didn't like, you know, he wasn't an amazing artist or anything, but he could do a clean tattoo. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, um, so heaps of, heaps of stuff along those lines, yeah.
1: Yeah. Now, did you... Did, how many did you work in a few shops before you travelled overseas to to check out tattoos in other in other countries and around the world, or did you work for say like four years at the one shop and then you went over to say America or Europe? Like, how did you first endeavour to yeah, decision well, to head overseas?
2: Yeah, like well, I did a little overseas stint. Like, I worked at the first shop for a while just to you know pay my dues and you know be thankful for the opportunity. Mm. But then. Um, and you know, I think when I left that shop, yeah, I did. A, I moved up here again. I actually, attempted to move back home, but it was more towards South Queensland, not North, Northern New South Wales. Mm. But um, yeah, then after that, and then I came back to Melbourne. And but yeah, then I did sort of. I guess the the bookmark of the career would have been doing the European trip, where me and my partner just travelled around. And, um, you know, I just got gigs where I could, really, like in London. And I spent a lot of the time at um, in Amsterdam with Angelique, who came, yeah. who's a lovely lady who just put out a hand um, so I could work in her shop and live the Amsterdam lifestyle, which was great. Mm. And then um, and then we went, yeah, we went to some Scandinavian countries as well. So that was probably, you know, it's had a really served me well in that aspect it gave me the opportunity to do a um you know traveling working sort of lifestyle which was amazing definitely a memorable moment yeah,
1: yeah. Was it? was life- it was it easy say back then to like find works of tattoo artists overseas or was it kind of like who you know or the community yeah themselves
2: yeah first few people were doing it like yeah, and it's all just um, word of mouth. Like this person knows that person, and you can sort of use your networking skills to go from shop to shop. And if you got, you know, if you're not an asshole, like most people are pretty willing to have you. Yeah, and yeah. your tattoos are good. And um, so yeah, it wasn't that hard because that's sort of like what people do tattooing for as well for the travelling aspect. So I think everyone's used to guest artists and. Mm. you know for shops to do it too like to invite guest artists it's profitable for them as well so it's sort of win-win yeah because if you get a guest artist who can pull in a lot of work I mean everyone's happy yeah
1: yeah so um um, was was there ever like uncertainty with with work and travel like were you ever going to somewhere without work and being like I hope I can get a job or was it were you pretty well organized with organizing stuff before you went
2: yeah there was a few like most places with um, pretty good, like you'd just do walk-ins if you didn't have your custom clientele um, I remember Germany was pretty quiet at the time Yeah, um, I found Germany a bit quiet it was just a different tattoo culture I do like what would be basically Americana sort of traditional then, like mm. I got into a bit more eastern influence later but then was pretty traditional mm. um, yeah, I mean you can understand why Germany's probably not into that imagery as much, it's just a different different culture you know what I mean so they weren't they were more into like um the tattoos just looked more modern and the tattoo shops were just more um yeah just I just I just the words modern you know like and I was doing old-fashioned stuff it just wasn't their style at the time but I got walk-ins but all the other countries like Amsterdam and um you know in the Scandinavian countries they are all pretty good yeah, I know.
1: I um, visited you in Amsterdam, and you worked with uh, Angelique. I mean, I can't pronounce her last name. Hort Camp. Yeah, who, and, yeah, and she she owns the the studio salon Serpent. Um, now, how was that compared to say working in the suburbs of Melbourne? Like, you know, I mean, it must have been you know characters in all in in both in both countries and both cities. But it must have been a bit of a different kind of. Reality to you, like you know, working there more long time, like I'll say long term, I should say.
2: Yeah, like um, oh, I don't know, like it, it is different in a way, but like it's not as different as you think it would be, you know. Like yeah. I think the internet, like I'm a, I'm an internet age tattooer, so yep. I think um, you know they, the image tattoo images are just shared instantaneously and from all parts of the globe that it's like a culture that can exist um you know internationally if you know what I mean like yeah, yeah. it's not like a little hub in a certain part of the world the internet's just allowed it to just expand to all areas yeah. so it just you know it was everywhere. yeah and like the tattoo you know the people at tattoo were like tattoo enthusiasts and they mm. were enthused in just tattoo culture in general so they just mm. wanted to the classic images you know it wasn't like i want this because um you know for a certain reason or a memory of mine and it has meaning to me it's more like i want this um hanyu mask because it's like an amazing iconic image that's been tattooed for you know what would it be 500 years or more you know yeah yeah so yeah, well. it's just like tattoo enthusiasts and they're sort of you know you, there's i think whether they're um Dutch or Australian or American or you know there's sort yeah. of they have that because 'cause they're just into that tattoo culture, so yeah, it wasn't completely different. Yeah, yeah. From one country to the next. Yeah. But I remember um, working in one um shop in Utrecht which is just over from
1: yeah. yeah? Sorry, you cut out briefly. Oh, did it? Sorry,
2: reception might cut in and out a little bit. But, um, yeah, I was working in this Dutch shop in Utrecht with this um, Bulgarian guy, and he couldn't speak Dutch, and neither could I. And I just remember we could only speak English when customers come in,
1: and a few of them got pretty pissed off at that. The Good days. Um, what was your, like, uh, or even now, like, what are your, mate, like, what were your influences with your artwork? And I know you said you were really attracted to, like, Kind of traditional style like Taylor, Jerry but I've had a lot more influences over the years due to like travel and and you know interests. Like, where what would you say are your major major influences with your with your artwork and your imagery?
2: Yeah, well, yeah. At the start, I just loved the folk imagery. Like originally, it would have been like advertisements from the early 1900s, late 1800s, and matchbox sort of artwork. Just like old print work. And then, you know, then the tattooists of the early 1900s sort of traced that and turned it into tattoo imagery and created their own imagery. So that was the most influential because at the time, like, um, I you know, it was all so new to me. That imagery was just amazing. It was mm. that, that mystery about it and just like, what's all this? Where's all this come from? And it was like real naive. Like it had its own character because it was sort of crudely drawn, but that's what made it so good. Yeah, um, and just the simple color palette. It was just something about it. It was so strong. And then, um, yeah, over time, so you just get used to that imagery. And I think, like, artists just get real high off being inspired by things. So obviously you love that imagery, but you can't be high off it forever, so you start looking for more. Mm-hmm. And then um, I remember coming across, like, um, Hindu artwork and Tibetan artwork, Um I don't know if it was before I went to India or during my time there. I think it was before. That's what led me to go there. But that looked a fair bit like tattoo, like psychedelic tattoo artwork, because it still Mm. was bold and simple, and it had that folk element. But obviously, the symbol, you know, the symbols they used, the iconography was completely different, like Mm. deities and. That mm. stuff was the second blowing away. That was just like, whoa.
1: Yeah.
2: Beton as well, it was just, it's still, I still love it. It was just so powerful.
1: Mm. Um, The
2: colors, the boldness of it, the simplicity, but yeah. That's so cool. that definitely started to influence me as yeah. well. Like, they just, you know, they were just able to do a simple image that just had so much power, and that's what I love. Like, I love mm. little just little drawings that, for some reason, just repose them mm. You know, you don't even know why. It's just something about it. Mm. You try. I like to try to find them, and that's what I like to. When I paint flash, I like to try and um, achieve that, but it's hard. Yeah,
1: sure. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, so, when you came back to Australia, you worked for a couple more years at um, Chapel Tattoo on in Melbourne on Chapel Street. Is that correct?
2: Yeah, then I got the opportunity, I got, like, a little email. So I was like, oh, I'm going to come back to Australia soon. And they said, would you like to work here? And I was just like, you know, that was the pinnacle for me because that was, like, a shop that had been established. I think it was in 94, mm. maybe wrong, something around then. And, um, you know, I just looked up to those guys and I was like, whoa, that's amazing. I was so stoked. And all those guys are putting out amazing work. And they're just like, they love... All that imagery I was just talking about they just on the same page with all that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, then I just worked there for a long time and had a ball. It was, yeah, it was, just, it was a great time and just got it, got amongst it, you know, just <laughs> worked hard. Really, like, did it uh, was full time there and just um, churned them out for a while and learnt a lot, basically.
1: Yeah, yeah. Now, um. I wanted to touch on, like, maybe the first time, if you can remember, like, when you started to kind of think about, you know, possibly wanting an out as being a full-time tattoo artist. Like, what were your, your processes and or your thought process you were going through and, like, why you were having those feelings or thoughts, you know, about thinking about having to change? Because it sounds to me like, and I know you personally, there was something you fell in love with so much, but being an artist, like, Putting yourself out there, especially as a tattooist, you know, yeah. I'm, sure, I'm sure it's very stressful at points. You know, with your creative mind and and making it your your income and your job. Like, when when were you first kind of thinking, you know, might not be yeah. for me forever?
2: Well, I think like like I said um, when I first started tattooing, and like you asked me if it was like a career option, I think, and I just didn't even realize that. Like, I guess it's a career, but um. I think the same thing, like, you can be a good tennis, but you also got to be a bit of a businessman, and I think, and even more so in the last four or five years, like, with the influence of Instagram, like, you really had to be a businessman, you know, like, you had Mm. to have a strong social media presence, like, so, um, you know, make sure you get that real crispy photo of every tattoo. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Um, be uploading a lot because it became very competitive because there was personalities who were amazing at that, you know, like just having that content and they like that as a sort of form of expression, the sort of social media, but for me it um it wasn't it was just i don't know like i'm very critical of my own work too, and I always found the photo like it was um you to get photos of tattoos is hard, but um yeah, and I just i don't know I just don't really like um. Being too active um, on social media and that like poking my head out too much, and um, and just that competitive competitiveness of the whole social media aspect sort of like had a little bit of an effect on the job to me. Mm-hmm. Um, just like the sort of pressure to sort of um, constantly be uploading and maintaining what the um, what the punters wanted. Mm. But also, I don't think it was just that. It was like one little aspect. But I think now that I look back, and I'm feeling more content with it all again. I think it was just like um, I think I'd been doing it for around seven years or something by then. It was just my craving to want to learn more. Like mm. going, to, like when we went to India, and um, you know, just reading a lot about Eastern philosophy. My mind was just hungry, just to like keep learning, you know, and I think Mm. that's what it was because now I'm doing the equine podiatry.
1: Mm.
2: I'm feeling a bit more content with tattooing again because I think I've really satisfied that craving for my sort of, um, my mind just to, it just loves to learn, you know. I love getting high off that new information that blows you away. Yeah. So I think like more my, when I started to consider like, oh, you know, I don't want to be full-time and have a break from it I think it was a lot to do with that. Like um just wanting to keep growing, you know, not that I couldn't have grown a lot more with my artwork. I could have like pursued bigger work, but um, yeah, it was just something about want one... I just had obsessed over it for so long. I think my brain needed a little break and just yeah. to dabble in something else. Yeah. So um, yeah. And then just, you know, and I don't upload much on social media and stuff and I'm fine with that. Like at first I was like, you know, I felt guilty about, that. you know, if I want the work, I need to do it more, but nowadays, I get enough work, because I only do a few days a week off, and I just chuck one up every now and then, and it's just so much better, like, for mm-hmm. me, and my my lifestyle, like, it
1: just works like that, it's a lot yeah, better. Yeah, sure. I understand yeah. where you're coming from, though, with with social media, you know, there's a lot of, everything's online now, and people are running their businesses off, it's just online via Instagram and, and social mm-hmm. media, and... It can be, like, I understand, you know, doing my own thing too and I'm sure a lot of people can, you know, like, it does take effort. It's not as easy as some people think, you know, and especially Mm. when you're putting your creative self out there, it can, it doesn't gel with everyone for sure.
2: Yeah, Yeah, well, I think it's an an amazing platform. Like, the opportunity it's given people, um, you know, to have small businesses or sell whatever, like a little handmade knife, like, it's almost like... um, some sort of old fashioned town where you can buy like boutique items from, you know, the maker again, but in a virtual world, you know, yeah. you can just, it allows that. It's like an online marketplace. And I think that's amazing, but I just don't want to stress about it, to be honest, Nib. I don't yeah. want to upload much. It's, I don't care. Like, I'll just roll with that. Yeah. It's when I start stressing about it or caring about it, it, it affects my sort of my tattooing world, if you know what I mean. So, yeah, right it's now,
1: no. it's a good little happy medium. Yeah,
2: so yeah. you um
1: you finished up work in Melbourne at Chapel Tattoo, and you ended up moving back home to towards the point like Byron Bay or Nimbin mm-hmm. area, and you um you ended up getting work at, like you said you, where you currently work at Rock of Ages in Lennox Head, which is a pretty good tattoo tattoo studio. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So you you worked there for a few years, and then you you started the process of. of of looking for something else, I wanted you to kind of touch on a little bit of um, like the process of, of elimination of the, even the seeking for other options as career, as a career choice or, you know, like as a job or where you could put your energy once you'd kind of started to tap out a little bit of the tattoo world. Like what was that like going through the process of that where you already had a secure job? Like a lot of people would think you crazy. It's, 10 years into something that pays well, you're well known at what you do, you make good money and you're almost mm. going to throw it away. Like how did, how did you overcome that or deal with that at the time?
2: Yeah, I guess like, I'm, I guess I got to think back to how it was because right now I'm so used to it for a while mm. there. So for sure it was like, you know, you feel a bit guilty and I guess it's a very, um, privileged and lucky thing to be able to do, you know, just to be able to change careers like that. But, um, the reality was I was living in Byron and stuff and, like, moved back up, living in Bangalore. And then, um, you know, just it takes a while to build up your clientele. It's not as if you rock up and you're just, like, you know, full books, boom, 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 just mm-hmm. tattooing. there's a lot of waiting around the shop and stuff and whilst you sort of establish your, your name in the area. But, um, you know, eventually we are living in that Bangalore house and, you know, the lease was coming up. And I was like, man, I just don't want to go to another share house anymore, you know. And I had a, and, um, I had a mate who was thinking of leaving, moving out to Nimbin, where we grew up. And he's like, and I was like, man, if you move out, I'd move back out. I didn't really feel ready to go that remote yet. Mm. And then, um, so yeah, we ended up moving out to Nimbin for various reasons. But um, I also knew that moving to a remote location probably isn't the best career move. for Padoing. Definitely more of like a metropolitan job, you know. Like yeah, yeah. You can make, you could probably do pretty well if you like spend some time and established your name know, in a rural area. But often they're pretty low income and tattoos are a bit of a luxury. So, you know, there's all these challenges to to the job, to that career. Mm. So I knew moving out to Nimmin that I'd probably have to consider another career option. And I was trying to think of one for a long time.
1: What did you try out? I mean, what what, what went through your head of oh, trying to figure out what you could actually go to? Yeah, well, I oh, just, you know, just rocked up and I was just... I
2: had so many ideas, to be honest. Like, it's not hard to come up with ideas, but when you sort of go to bed and you're thinking about picturing yourself in that job, some of them sat right and some didn't. Mm. Some of like, you'd be like, no, I've worked it out, I'm going to do a carpentry or something or a bush region, and then you're at night and you're thinking, you're like, oh... All my service was just not right, you know, and um so, yeah, I did that for a while and I did do a lot of, you know, still doing one or two days at the shop, but then I'd be doing during the week, like, I like was culling devil's figs for people, which are like a noxious weed of the area, like, just sort of... Um, manual labour. Yeah, and, yeah, manual labour and doing regenerative work, like, with trees and property maintenance, which I enjoyed because... Living back here, I think I've been here for two and a bit years now, and we call it Nimmin University because we've just learned so much. about yeah. Because we're on 30 acres here, you know, managing a rural property, um, just all the tricks to doing that. I have lots of friends who are into, like, cattle, you know, the whole horse thing. It's just been amazing how much we've
1: learned.
2: Yeah. Mixing that at first and then going back to tattooing, like, one or two days a week and then during the week doing labor work or bush region or some other weird things in there but it's pretty funny navigating the two well worlds for a
1: while
2: yeah i'm used to it now but for a while there i was like man this is crazy like i have to tap back into different head spaces almost yeah the two worlds are just so different you know
1: i mean you were overcoming adversity and like uh, having the uncertainty, uncertainty there of like not, not yeah. exactly knowing what it is, like it kind of forces you to you know come up with with um, with tactics and tools to like you know find uh, inspiration to like you know where can I lead myself and then, I mean, tell us how you ended up coming across being a an equine therapist or like a hoof care specialist.
2: Yeah, equine podiatrist. Um, um yeah, well. Well, um, oh, we went to like a, um, a party and, um, there was two people there looking for, like my parents were into horses and stuff. So anyway, when I moved back, I was like, man, I can get horses again. That's a pretty cool idea. Cause I wasn't surfing cause I wasn't, I loved surfing when I was on the coast, but now I'm living rural. It's a bit harder to surf. So I just got the country surfboard, which is a horse <laughs> and, um, And two people were looking for adjustment to their two horses, and they were like, oh, yeah, I'll look after them. I've got 30 acres doing nothing. Like, why not? Just have it for free. And anyway, they came, they were living here, and then a a farrier lady, a barefoot trimmer, came out, equine podiatrist, there's so many names for it, Yeah. um, came out to trim the horses and to just, at that time I was, you know, right into these horses. I was just like, I want to learn everything about them and, you know, just, looking at all aspects of their body and feet, you know, what can be improved. And, um, yeah, she comes out and I was just like, you know, once again, that sort of mysterious world of the tattooist, that's what I saw in the Farrier. Okay. I was like, how's this Farrier world? It's like another old world. I love like old world trades. I've sort of realized too. And to me, a Farrier is like an old world trade Yeah. with that sort of mysteriousness about it. And, um, yeah, I just saw a trim, and she saw. I was just really keen. She's like, "You ever thought about doing this for a job?" And I'm like, "Really?" Like, you can do yeah. this. And she's like, "Yeah." <laughs> I didn't know. I thought you had to like inherit that trade. Mm. But um, yeah. So she's like, you know, have a look at this guy, like this um guy Pete Ramey, who's just like a you know big advocate of barefoot, keeping horses barefoot rather than shoeing them, and just like you know master of anatomy. Real amazing thinker, and I just got one of his DVDs. It was like 10 DVDs and like over 20 hours of just hoof and you know, what's going on inside biomechanics, pathology, rehab. Like you know, just deep in there, and um, and ended up studying yeah equine podiatry and just went down the rabbit hole. Basically, man, just mm. went in the obsession portal and just haven't stopped for years now and yeah. Among all other facets of horsemanship, it's just been a big journey. I feel like I've been just studying horses for years now. Um, why don't you tell us
1: exactly what it is that uh, what a care podiatrist does or each one podiatrist does? Give us a bit of a rundown on that. Yeah, so basically
2: with um, domestic horses, their feet need to be trimmed because usually the train's not abrasive enough and they're usually doing uh far not enough movement to trim their feet naturally like if you look at a northern territory brumby or a North American Mustang they're on in a desert climate and they've got freedom to move so you know they're doing twenty to thirty k a day so their feet are being trimmed as they move every day so um domestic horses get you know long hooves that need to be trimmed back so that's sort of just the maintenance aspects usually a domestic horses you sort of um, considering we've taken an, an animal that's evolved over 60 million years or so, that's designed to, you know, move over massive amounts of land, migrations and stuff, and we've put them in small paddocks. You just mm. have side effects from that. So you have hoof pathology. You have um, areas of the of the foot that need to be addressed and improved. And you know, it just There's so much going on down there. It's crazy. Like, it's really hard to explain it simply, if you know what I mean. Um, Mm. Yeah, so every trim, like when I, you know, it's rare that I find the perfect hoof, if you know what I mean, in a domestic environment. So every time I pick one up and have a look, I'm looking at ways um, I can improve this foot by trimming it, but I'm also going to be talking to the customer about what's the diet doing. Um, you know, what's the environment they live in? Like, how much movement? It's like a very holistic approach to um, yep. managing the horse feet because it's like, uh, you know, the most common source of lameness in a horse is in its feet. And, you know, mm-hmm. the saying, no hoof, no horse. So it's just such an important aspect of a horse and often overlooked area of the horse. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, there's a lot to it, really, isn't
2: there? Yeah, and that's just like brushing on the surface. Like, I could go you know there's the whole like do we shoe horses do we not um how do we approach this pathology like you know cuz you sometimes you'd be working with veterinarians and shooting x-rays you got to you know know your anatomy well and how to read x-rays and then how do you improve it from that information and yeah it just keeps going and um but it's hard to sort of delve into it too much without just losing your audience cuz it would just <laughs> go over their heads if you know what i mean yeah, if they're, sure. if they're not into it, yeah. But yeah, it's a really interesting topic and it's a bit like a a mind puzzle. Like um, yeah. I've definitely had to um, expand parts of my, my ways of thinking just to comprehend what's going on down there because, you know, considering biomechanics and
1: all those aspects, yeah. Wow, it sounds like there's a lot to it. Um, yeah, there is so you're also I mean you, you that's your profession now, but you've you've also had to start your own business. So yeah. How have you how have you gone about being able to establish yourself and like what are what what were some of the processes you had to go through to like I guess, you know, market yourself and, and, and to be able to become someone that was seen as a, a professional in, in the in your certain market?
2: Mm. Yeah, well um I don't know, I guess, like, coming from a graphics background, that always helps, so, you know, whatever sort of new endeavor I have, I can always brand it neatly and sort of, like, I have an understanding of how to communicate to the public um, through graphics and all that. So, um, yeah, just, you know, clean-cut branding. But to be honest, like, a lot of this business is about word of mouth. Um,
1: yeah.
2: Majority of my clientele, if you put effort in, if you're punctual, you rock up. You, you be transparent. Explain what you're doing, and offer a bit of you know educate the client. It just goes a long way, and I think so far that's been the best. And uh, I'm friends with other um, farriers and trimmers in the area, so referrals. Um, you know, just those aspects helped a lot. Bit of online presence as well, but yeah, definitely word of mouth is the main yeah. contender uh, for marketing in this business, and the uh, yeah, you just, I don't know, I just put put the effort in, you know, like a sort of um, professional approach, you know, just do a neat job and do a good job, you know. Mm, for sure. Yeah. Do you
1: have any like, um, you know, mindset practices or certain things like, you know, positive self-talk or exercise or yoga? Are there, are there anything that you do have, you know, habits, positive habits that, that help you stay focused with what you want to do?
2: Yeah, well, um, yeah, definitely stretching <laughs> morning and night from this job because it's pretty damn physical on the body. Yeah. Probably up up there with tattooing, like the way you're hunched. Yeah. Um, so yeah, definitely stretching and yoga exercises help a lot for the physical aspect. Yeah. And, um, uh, mental as well, I'm sure. But, um, at the moment, it's probably just the pursuit of knowledge, I think. Like, I think the customer's really appreciate that if they've got it like if they ask me a question like we're sort of expected to know not not just about the feet but they'll just ask us everything so i do my best to really con- continually doing professional development through clinics educational clinics and just always reading um you know and being up to date mm. with the latest sort of scientific research and i think um for me just um and just sort of trying to um I guess what like you're trying to think of approaching things a little um like lateral thinking, like thinking a bit out of the box and being as, as objective as possible with um, yep. your assessment and understanding of what's going on with the horse, you know, because it's it's a real scientific mindset. So um, I guess that Has been a bit different I've never sort of Dabbled in that realm Coming from the The tattoo world And before that Wasn't academic at all So just Yeah There's something about That scientific Aspect um, Approach And Outlook that I, I really enjoy It's Sort of like rem- Removing the Personification Sort of things That we love to do Yeah um, And just You know Considering all the variables To every case You have is, very easy to come up with sort of the um, conclusion on something, you know, quickly and believing that, but you're not considering all the other variables at play. And that's, yeah, that's really sure. important in the horse world, man, because it, there's a lot of wives' tales and um, old traditional things that are just floating around, and you really need to just cut through it with evidence and an evidence-based approach, you know? Yeah. And that's how it really helped the horse is just all this new information, a new understanding I'm not bound by any tradition so
1: yeah, yep. in
2: regard to that's my mindset at the moment it's not like real spiritual or anything in that sense but it, um, it's just that but it's it's awesome you know and it's um, I guess it's a yeah. scientific
1: sort of approach yeah Um. so I mean do you have any can you give us any tips or anyone any any tips or ideas you know for instance you you know, you change careers. That say when you're around, say 30, 29 or 30. And you know, I know a lot of people. Sometimes they might stick in a job just because it pays well, or you know, they're doing it because someone else wants them to do it. They might have a mortgage, um, but they might have a dream that they want to chase. Other pursuits they might feel that could be uh, could be something that they could love doing and make it their own their own thing eventually. Do you have any tips on on the process, you know, or just, just, just if someone was thinking about that, like, you know, give them a bit of an idea of you mm. know, jumping jumping in the deep end or just doing your research, like, what would you consider?
2: Yeah, I guess you just got to find that thing that just um, sits naturally and you, you're naturally drawn to it. Like, it's not an effort to pursue it, you know, like, it's just got to come naturally. And there's always the transition period of income and mindset, like, Um, I'll probably just eventually become full-time equine podiatrist. But um, so right now I'm still in that transition period while I build up more clientele to become full-time. So that bit's a bit hard to navigate, and you work a lot. Mm. But um, I think that's just part of it, you know. Like you just gotta. It is pretty hard to do a career change, really. Mm. I think um, I'm lucky that I don't have debt and things like that. Given me a lot of freedom. Uh, I'm lucky in that area. Yeah, so I've had a little more freedom to move in that sense. But um, I don't know, man. I I just <laughs> I don't know if I can give guidance in that area because I just yeah. went for it basically. You know what I mean? then it might be that little bit of ignorance, but I just can um get that tunnel vision which helps me. You know, yeah, um, sure. just achieve that goal. I guess. Yeah. And um. Yeah, so I think, but yeah, just just um, being ready for that transition period that will be a lot of work because you'll probably yeah. be have, doing two jobs at one time. <laughs> yeah, and oh, patience, yeah. you know, just yeah, patience
1: yeah. It takes years. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Yeah. Um. Well, cool. Well, before I let you go, um, do you, where can people kind of reach out to you or find you? You know, I know you're still in the tattoo world, and you know you're online with your know, with some of your horse stuff. I, Give us a couple of links there, or drop them yeah, there. yeah,
2: yeah. The tattoo Instagram is um, either Rock of Ages, Lennox Head. Yep. Um That's a shot, and then my personal ones, Liam M. Jenkins. Um, you know, you'd find a link off the Rock of Ages one as well, and my hoof care business is Northern Rivers Hoof Care. So, the Northern Rivers area. Do you have um, a website, Northern Rivers Hoof Care? Yeah, no. Yeah, do northernriverswiftcare.com.au. Sweet. Yeah, and
1: that's it. Yeah, sweet. Thanks for having me. No worries, good, man. Thank good chat. to see ya. Yeah, good, good, and uh, thanks for taking the time to have a chat. And I'm sure you know I'll probably get you on again in the future in a year or two. We'll see. We'll see what goes on, but I'm glad that we had the conversation. And I'll uh, I'll speak to you soon. Sounds good, mate. Cheers. Cheers.